0: Welcome viewers and listeners to the Thinking Fans FC Premier League Podcast. Each week we get together with our besties who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. I'm joined by soccer analyst Harshal Patel and coach David Seymour. I'm host Chris Mumford, Bella Chow. We're sponsored by the Premier League Guide, a 300-page book for those mad about football. Moneyball for football, opposition analysis plus eye candy. The current update is available at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Match Day 27 and the assortment of makeup matches had some emerging storylines. Are Man United's tactics validated? Does Man City need to change things up? How does Liverpool regain its superpower mojo? Leicester finds its medal even with a very quiet Vardy. Arsenal hits a VAR speed bump with Burnley. Should Tottenham's front three finally be feared? Let's start to impact those issues today. We have to start with the Manchester Derby. Harshal, from a tactical perspective, what did you see going on in that game? And I've always sort of maintained that, I mean, the,
1: the, the issue or the struggle with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as United manager has been. His ability to sort of create long-term plans and a a proper structure of play that you see with, say, the likes of Thomas Tuchel, Julian Nagelsmann, Klopp, Guardiola, you don't really see that with Solche. But one thing he's been excellent at since he's become Man United manager is crafting tactics for specific games and specific opponents. We've seen that in the Champions League this season. You know, against against PSG, against Leipzig, Solche has done the same in previous games against Man City, um, and. I mean, if you uh, there's a stat going around that of all the managers who have faced Pep Guardiola at least four times, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the only one to have a positive record. He's played him, I think, eight uh, or nine times now. He's won four times. Yeah, he so he's played them. Uh, played him eight times. There've been four wins and and a draw out of eight games. So he's he clearly knows what he's doing there. And in it, it worked out against City at the weekend as well. I was again really impressed with United's press. With the pressing, um, as as it was, uh, I mean, it, it was it carried on from where they had sort of left off against Chelsea a, a couple of weeks ago. They, especially in the first few minutes, you know, they they put City under a lot of pressure. They obviously conceded the pe- City obviously com- conceded the penalty. United went ahead, but they were struggling a little bit to play it out from the back. Rashford, for example, um, was doing a really good job on Cancelo, who like he, he was shadowing him and sort of using his, his positioning to not allow John Stones to be able to find him in the center of the park, which is what Cancelo has been doing this season. He becomes essentially a central midfielder when, when City have the ball. But Rashford did a really good job in sort of blocking those areas and the entire team did really well in Fessing. Uh Another thing I thought that worked out really well was the way in which McTominay and Fred were used where they played really wide. I mean, United played with a 4-2-3-1 and you would think that a team that's looking to sit back against a team like City, you would want to congest the centre and your your the two midfielders in the pivot would stay central and stay narrow. But City excel at getting the two sort of number eights who were who are Kevin De Bruyne and uh, I believe it was uh, Riyad Mahrez at times. Other times, even Raheem Sterling would pop in into those central areas. But basically, they would have the two number eights sort of go out to the wider areas. And that is why McTominay and Fred would follow those two players to ensure that they could not get on the ball easily. Even when it was Gundogan or or Mares on the left, uh, at times, De Bruyne moving over to the right, Fred would sort of follow him. So you would see often that there'd be a lot of space in the centre, but the front three would stay narrow there to sort of stay compact and shut off passing angles through the centre. And... It wasn't the case of, say, what Jose Mourinho did against City, where Sissoko and Koibiyag were almost dropping into the back four to make it a back six. United didn't do that. They they were much more intelligent in the positioning, and I thought that was a big reason why sort of City struggled to create too many clear chances. And obviously, on the counter-attack, United have been devastating all of this season. They took their chances. I thought they could have actually scored maybe one more. Martial had a very good... Uh, chance that uh, Edison saved. He had another headed opportunity that he sort of didn't make contact with that well. So all in all, I think, yeah, United's tactics on the day were spot on and and this uh, it's it just another sort of, you know, indication to me that Solskjaer can set up the team really well in individual games but he needs to translate that into having a broader system of play for the entire season and for games where
0: United will have the majority of the ball and they need to break other teams down. So I guess I have a a slightly different take. I, I think, and I've you guys know I love to talk about chaos theory, uh, namely how a a flutter of a butterfly's wings in South America can cause a a typhoon in in Central Asia. Um, I, you know, I think if that clumsy third twenty eighth second move by Jesus to set up that first pk you know that really cha- just kind of completely changed the dynamics of the game and that r- run by luke shaw which was absolutely magnificent individual play you know what i what i left with was wow man united's press they are giving man city major trouble i mean that's just i'm not used to seeing Man City have problems like that and it seems like somehow some way Man United has gotten that sorted out And then defensively, you know, if Man City had 65% Possession in the first half it was 70% so for a good while Man United were training cones except they were training cones in the right places where It seemed like neither Henderson or Ederson had a tremendous amount of effort. David, what do you think? And you know, I'm I'm already hearing pundits saying Man City needs to change things up a bit, which I think, with a one-game losing streak, may be a bit premature. But but is there is there any kernels of truth in that?
2: No, I don't think so. And uh, I'd expect them to still walk on to victory in the title i thought it was interesting that city had had 21 shots on goal which is a high amount for them only six on target but a high amount even even by city standards it's a high amount so it wasn't like united you know completely shut them out i think if we're being honest city had the better chances over the course of the game let's ignore the penalty um, but I think what was interesting was that City started quite well despite the penalty, and I think that in the first twenty they had three shots that had a higher xG, sorry, a higher value than zero point one for, uh, for xG.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then they they in the period from let's I think it was the nineteenth minute, it might have been the twentieth minute. In that period until the seventy fifth minute, they only registered another one more shot that had a higher value than uh, xG value than zero point one. And then in the last 15 minutes, I think they managed three. But to go from the 20th minute to the 75th minute and have such a, a vast number of shots to then peter out, sorry, to, to peter out in that time and then come strong again. It was it was an interesting, interesting, I think, structure of the game. And I think the longer the game went on, it looked more like City were, were going to score. I think United were a bit lucky. So I think for people to say, uh, you know, City maybe need to mix it up or whatever, first you need to look at the the table and then secondly i think you need to go hold on a minute yeah i think city were pretty unlucky in that game not to at least get a point
0: right um harshell any thoughts
2: on man
0: united they seem to be mostly having draws with the better teams the be- the the top 6 but then they have a, f- a few banana peel moments during the season with lower league teams, is that going to be what's keeping them from really being able to become a legitimate league champion?
1: This season, yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, United have lost at home to Crystal Palace. They've drawn away to Crystal Palace. They've lost at home to Sheffield United. Uh And these are just three that I remember right now off the top of my head. But there are other games as well against, as you say, so-called lower teams lower down the table where United haven't taken the initiative and they haven't won. Um and they could conceivably be a lot closer to City had they taken points in those games. But I mean obviously there's no point in speculating about where teams could be if they'd won certain games because I mean do you everybody think it's can say that's a personnel
2: that. thing though how or do you think it's uh just a f- I think f- it's it's a bit of
1: it is a bit of a person personnel thing in the sense that United really miss Paul Pogba when he's not there because there's just nobody to provide a creative passing option from deep. Fred and McTominay are great at what they do. They shield the defense really well. They recover the ball really well. And they provide a lot of energy and they can sort of keep the ball moving as such. But they're not good at progressive passing, at being able to, you know, sort of pull off the sort of passes that you need off in the breakdown lower blocks or even when you're counter-attacking, the ability to play, say, a 30 or 40 yard ball out to the flank accurately and, you know, that, that there's a big reason why Bruno Fernandes has looked isolated in the sort of games against big teams is because he doesn't get a lot of service. He, he's often the guy who's having to drop deep to pick up the ball and then try and do something rather than being in the sort of higher areas where he does most of his work and, say, Pogba being able to find him. So it, it is a bit of a personnel issue. On, on that note, though, I, I do want to sort of give a shout out to Luke Shaw. I think he's been and it is sort of unfortunate that I'm saying this after he scored a goal when he's actually been really good for the last two months, I think. Um, Alex Tellez's arrival has sort of, I think, galvanised him. He has proper con- competition for the left back spot now and arguably been one of the best left backs in the league this season. Definitely should get into the England squad for the Euros. So. Do you think he should he- be starting?
2: I think he should be starting at this rate.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, depends on how on how Southgate sort of picks the side. If he still goes with a wing-back, sort of three-man at the back and wing-backs, then I don't know if he'll start. But he, he should, I think, definitely. He should. At the moment, given how Ben Chilwell is not being used too often by Thomas Tuchel and it's Marcus Alonso who plays for Chelsea, definitely, I think he should start for England. So, or he, You know, he can actually even slot in as the third sort of centre-back. Center centre He's played as the left-sided centre-back for United and a back three often this season. And he's got a good understanding with, Harry Maguire and Marcus Rashford. So, if those two are starting, there's definitely an argument to put Shaw in and sort of make England's left side all about United and and have that uh, understanding. But so yeah, to go back,
0: let me uh, jump. Go jump ahead, yeah, Harshal. I, you know, I, what I'm struck by is I'm hearing pundits say that Man United needs to open the pocketbook for a world class center back and a world class striker, and I'm like. Okay, that's kind of 200 million pounds easily there. Maybe 160 because it's COVID. Do they need to spend that amount of money to beat Crystal Palace and to beat Sheffield United? I just I don't know if I buy that argument very much. And then that whole Fred and McTominay need to be replaced by a parte uh, type player. Um, to get to give them more options going going forward i just i wonder out loud if i i just feel like from a tactical perspective maybe you you don't have to spend all that money to beat crystal palace or or sheffield united Um, any any quick thoughts on that
2: i would quickly just jump in there and say that i think it i understand what you're saying but you look you're looking at those games as individual games when actually it's the pattern of a season and yeah. that you need to have that strength and depth I think against Palace could be wrong but I'm pretty sure they had Matic and Fred as the whole mids yeah. and yeah. what Harsha was talking about there is that they haven't got that creative presence then um, against Sheffield United listen I know Martial played, played well uh, in the last game but <laughs> there's just been such inconsistency from him and I I like Martial, but I'm not sure if he's necessarily a title title winning centre forward. And Cavani's been brilliant, but like, if you haven't got Cavani, then it's Martial, or you know potentially you should be playing Greenwood in that central role. Well, I don't I don't know, but it's there's 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 players that you wouldn't say oh yeah that's a title winning player. Sheffield United they had um, who, who played centre back against Sheffield United with Maguire Harshal was it uh, Twanzebe? I probably Twanzebe yeah, and then. I think it was Bailey against. Made, um, yeah. Bay against Palace, Sorry, Bay against yeah, Palace. So, again, I look at those players and say, ah, good, good players. Good players are they? Are they City level players? Are they Liverpool from last year level players? Like, no. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, let's turn our attention to a fallen giant, namely Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool had a banana peel moment with Fulham. Uh, Harshal, ha- what's your take on what happened in that game? I mean, as <laughs> I need to
1: twist the knife a little bit as a United fan, given the fact that I mean they've been having banana peel moments for like almost the start since the start of the year. I think obviously they've lost six home games in a row for the first time in their history. Six home games overall for the first time since the 1953-54 season, which is when they got relegated. So it's, I mean, it's incredible. We've we've not, I don't think we've seen a title win or a, a team that won the title go from that sort of level of performance. And not just that season, just a point behind City. They finished on 97, City finished on 98, and then they came back and won the title last year. And over, say, two, two and a half years, the level of dominance and the performance levels that they've shown in England and in Europe and to, to sort of regress to this sort of level is not something I, seen, I think we've seen in English football, European football for, for quite a long time. So it is quite astonishing, although I think there are definitely explainable reasons for that. One being, obviously, the injuries, COVID, all of that that they've had, they've played, this was the 19th centre-back combination that they've played this season, which is... I mean, I can't get my head around that number. They've played 19 different central defensive partnerships this season. And I don't think any team in
2: the world can cope with that. So It, it was definitely ha- watching it as well, would not it, Harshal? But,
1: yeah, exactly. I was just going to bring that up. That I mean, the two guys, Phillips and, and Williams, they it looked like they've never played together before and it looked like they've never played in this system and the way they were being asked to play because yeah. just the movement, the positioning, the, the times they were looking to step out or stay back, it, it just looked... All over the place, especially in the first half, and I can't, I don't blame Klopp for that because he's he's doing the best with the hand he's been dealt with. Ozan Kabak, for example, who came in on loan, who I mean, he's been playing, but you've got to remember he's coming from a team that's dead bottom of the Bundesliga that's going to get relegated from the Bundesliga. So it's not like he's been playing really well for the last six months, and then you know he's not been too confident. Now he's gotten injured, which is why they're playing those two guys. So it's it's you, there are reasons why this is
2: happening. It's not all unexplainable it's it's incredibly unfortunate and i think yeah. that i no one in their right mind should be saying klopp needs to go because you look you look at the lineup they've got and you compare that to like their starting 11 from probably this time last year or whatever you know what i mean and the just the isn't the same and i think that it's difficult to maintain that level when you have like you said the nine-team center-back partnership and I don't, I don't want to necessarily like be too harsh on these guys, but it was a really poor showing uh, in central defence. I'll go up there and say it's one of the worst central defensive showings I've seen in the league this year. Just in terms of, Fulham, Fulham could have won that game a lot more comfortably than they did. There was some last ditch tackle, some good saves, or and just some misses that potentially better strikers would have taken. But if you watch back that game. You'll see that so many of Fulham's chances come from being able to pull those centre backs out of position. And do you know what? It's probably a bit harsh to say the centre backs. They haven't played him. They haven't built that relationship. They haven't built that understanding. And it was obvious. Some yeah. of, some of the some of the through balls that were being played, you suddenly saw one of the centre backs just ten yards away from his line, and the Liverpool back line was was spread across. The sort of the width of the 18 yard box and you think oh my gosh like how was how has that happened um
0: well and and i jump in here david i i mean the back line the inexperience ended up with those consequences but if you take a look liverpool had two shots on goal fulham had three and the xg was 1.58 for fulham versus liverpool 0.67 that to me is a scarier stat is that Liverpool has a lower XG and fewer shots on goal than a relegation team. I mean, I I don't I haven't looked at all the stats, but I just can't imagine that that situation popping up very much with Liverpool. I, I don't no, know. Fair,
2: fair play. Fair play to Fulham, by the way. Because oh yeah, no, they, no, they, they could have sat back and parked the bus, which I know you might want to talk about a bit later. And they they didn't. They stuck. They stuck to their guns, which has potentially been their undoing in times. But they yeah. gave it a real good go, and I think they were, like you said they were good value for the win.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I I just think that uh, if if I were a Liverpool fan, and I am a bit of a Liverpool fan, it's just like you just keep your mouth quiet because the worm is going to turn at some point it's just inevitable because that sort of talent is what it is and you've got all the pieces in place and you know just as everyone was talking about man city's early demise and the need for a major reset last year uh, which was precipitated by some central back injuries amongst some stuff up front as well with aguero but I just, I feel like it's going to be okay. I will tell you that if Chelsea wins today, they're going to be a solid 10 points off uh, the, the champions league spots with what a dozen games left to go fewer than a dozen. Yeah. I I would have never imagined that. And we started the the year talking about how messy as an MESSY this league was going to be. And, you know seeing Tottenham Arsenal and Liverpool
2: where they are uh, I think it's kind of lived true to form so sure quick quick note on uh, Fulham Chris last week we spoke about Brighton and how unlucky they've been and I've say that in inverted commas because it depends on how much you believe in the expected points model but nevertheless I think we can agree they have been unlucky and Fulham are kind of similar, and I believe Fulham are the second sort of most unlucky team in the league in terms of underperforming their expected points. Um, if you look at that expected points table, they're actually above Villa, Leeds, um, Wolves, Tottenham, Everton. So we talk about them. I guess you said a relegation team, and you're not wrong. But actually, Fulham, Fulham are a good side, and and it, it'd be a real shame for I think the league if they got relegated this year, because I think that actually they've got a lot of potential as a team. I don't know what you guys think about that.
0: I I, I am in complete agreement. I, I don't have anything more to say except to talk about park the bus sort of teams a little bit later on. Uh, mm. It'd be nice to circle back on that. Um, let's turn our attention to one of the games at the beginning of the weekend was Arsenal Burnley and uh, the VAR speed bumps. Uh Harshal, any thoughts about that match?
1: I mean, it's just uh, Arsenal have been extremely inconsistent this season, and that's just continued. Because I mean, yes, obviously the are again had a role to play, and and we're sort of saying that every weekend. So it, it, it's here to stay, and we'll have to deal with it as it comes. But other than that, again, it, I, I for I thought again there were some good moments that Arsenal had, but they were sort of undone by their own sort of, you know, mistakes. And they—they they, literally, it seems like they, they sort of seem to take a step forward and then take a step back through either making mistakes, which lead to goals, or, or earlier on in the season, we saw players getting sent off and sort of leaving Arsenal shortchanged. That's, I don't know what needs to change or what sort of Arteta needs to do to make that change happen. But at the moment, it just seems that Arsenal more often than not sort of create their own problems and are uh, the, the agents of their own sort of destruction, so to speak. Because you look at the goal that they conceded, it, it's not just, I mean, obviously the majority of the game lies with Granit Xhaka there. But I think Bernd Leno makes a mistake as well in terms of the initial pass that he makes. And even a little bit in terms of his positioning and uh, Xhaka looks to pass it back to him. I think he could have been a bit wider and looked to receive it there, which would have maybe opened up the angle a little bit more. But... There are multiple errors that go go on. You know, it's not just one mistake. There are two or three mistakes made by Japha and Leno there, which obviously lead to that goal being conceded. So it's just it's it's frustrating. I think from and definitely would be frustrating for Arsenal fans because there's a lot of good stuff that's going on under Arteta. There's a lot of signs of progress. Good young players coming through. Bukayo Saka, I think, has been absolutely brilliant. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe has shown flashes of of being able to sort of step up and, and make a difference when needed. They've got Gabriel Martinelli, who's really good. Kieran Tierney, has, again, in with a shout for being one of the best left-backs in the league for certain periods of time this season. So they've got a good bunch of players, a good sort of um, uh, system that Arteta is trying to, to develop, but it's... They, they shoot themselves
2: in the football. Do, the do you think it's Arteta's no. fault though? Because like the ridiculous goal which by the way might be one of my favourite goals of the season just that <laughs> Christopher goal because it was like straight out of like a FIFA blooper. Um, yes. But ridiculous mistake to let the goal in and then there were, they had chances in the game which they didn't take and we spoke about I know Saka's been fantastic this year but he should have scored. Aubameyang should have scored another one maybe even another yeah. two depending if you look at that chance right at the end in the game as well. Arsenal battered them. I I thoroughly enjoyed the game uh, as a neutral, just watching the game. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I loved watching Burnley hold on, and I thought Burnley, by the way, pressed really well throughout the whole game. But um, yeah. yeah, going back to the original point, I think it, I think it's what, when we talk about Spurs as well. It's individual errors, or how can you account for a player not taking a chance inside the six-yard box? When there's like, it's just them and the keeper. Um, Can I offer a,
0: an alternative view? Uh, I, I think I'll, Arteta is going with this very expansive build out of the back, higher risk, higher reward profile, where Leno's going to get burnt every now and then. And I, I do think that he probably fell at, uh, on Leno, even though the pass back to him had a fair bit of pressure on it. Um, And Shaka, he just gave no options to. And you're going to have some bloopers like that, but there have been some instances where starting in the deep, they really blew open some opportunities and they, they haven't finished on them in the last few games on that, but it just, it's the same way that Man City operates, right? Ederson has has hit a couple of howler passes, but you know, that's going to happen one out of 10 times. And that's, if, if you're getting net positive goals, even though you give up an occasional blooper like that, and I think most people have this old school standard that, well, goalkeepers can't make any mistakes ever. Yeah, you can do that, but if, if you're playing expansive football and you want your keeper to be the 11th field player, you're gonna have to accept this level of risk because field players are successful Anywhere between seventy to ninety percent of the time in in improper passes, why wouldn't you expect a a keeper to at least sometimes get hit at ninety or ninety-five
2: percent? You know what, though, Chris, I think I think it comes back to like what we're talking about with the sort of depth issue with United, and I think that if you sort of looked at maybe Arsenal's best starting eleven, and let's just say they signed another like top centre back this year, which I know they were hoping Saliba was going to be, but that hasn't hand out just as yet or essentially it won't but let's just say this on a top centre back then you've got Gabriel next to that player then you've got better in and Tierney at full back and I'm actually I'm looking at that and I'm going do you know what that's a really nice like ball playing back line mm-hmm. uh, but then you've got <laughs> like on the weekend edge, Chambers David Luiz who I know is a, a ball player but he's capable of a mistake Pablo Marie and yep. that doesn't look that doesn't look as strong and that's not a team that is going to necessarily play that city style of football as successfully as
0: that's a good point that's a yeah. good
2: point so they're, they're they may
0: be short a couple they are pro- short a couple of players yeah
2: um yeah. but you know bringing on
0: Partey, you would think that they're they're making steps in the right direction um mm-hmm. but he's trying to groove the team um while I, I imagine they'll probably be i i would be surprised if if shaka gets many starts next year um but you know maybe things turn around for him interesting yeah. your point yeah. david you know even though arsenal had kind of an expected s- approximately 60% possession burnley had five shots on goal versus arsenal's three uh so you know go go figure um on, on that so maybe burnley is is moving beyond the uh we're in, in diech 2.0 or 3.0 where there's some some glimmers Um, but it just seems to me that high presses are getting more and more effective this last year and it could be that i'm just paying attention to them more or i think maybe people are seeing how the man cities and the liverpools have done it in the past and said hey this isn't such a bad idea it's a lot easier to score when the ball is in the opposing half of the pitch particularly in transition so
2: be interesting yeah i mean i mean actually if you look at the passes per defensive action for the league it's mm-hmm. got higher in the last couple of seasons mm-hmm. um the average the average mm-hmm. and two seasons ago 2018-19 the average was under 12 mm-hmm. and then last season it was just over 14 mm-hmm. uh no sorry this season is just over 14 last season it was just under 12 uh, over 12. so it's actually getting a little higher but i think teams are potentially being a little bit smarter it's not all about intensity charge at the opponent i think that teams have been a little bit more clever about setting traps um marking pressing the space rather than necessarily just pressing the the player and i think that's where you're seeing some of those successes come from right okay potentially teams are pressing more intelligently i guess is what i'm trying to say
0: yeah yeah that's that's my sense as well um so Southampton did win 2-0 over Sheffield United. Not uh, surprising, though it is nice to see Southampton at least come out of its free fall. Aston Villa yeah. and Wolves tied 0-0. Don't know if there's a lot to say there. Leicester City fell behind Brighton. Um, you know, what we've crowned and many others as the unluckiest team in the Premier League. And guess what? Leicester ends up coming back and winning 2-1. Harshell, any thoughts on that game? I mean, we've had doubts about whether Leicester can
1: maintain their sort of spot in the top four because they fell out last season. They had a 12-point at one point of the season. Leicester had a 12-point cushion to fifth place last season, and they they, they, they sort of that didn't help, and they finished in fifth place last season. So they've again sort of charged out of the blocks in the first half, maybe 1st 60 odd percent of the season this time around, and then again looks like there are signs that they might be falling off a little bit. So it's 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 brought the same questions as to whether Leicester can last the entire pace and finish in the top four. And I think that because we've spoken about it being a messy season, we've spoken about unexpected outcomes taking place a lot more this time around, I think that Leicester have a better chance this year. Mm-hmm. They, obviously, they've done themselves a huge favour by winning this game, coming back from behind and winning against Brighton. But overall, They've managed to cope with the injury absences they've had in a much better way. Obviously, the defense was the most badly affected, but they've got most of the defenders back now. It's the the players, the attacking players that are sort of uh, missing at the moment. Harvey Barnes is obviously the biggest example of that. James Madison is still not fit yet, so even without that, it's it's encouraging to see that they've managed to put uh, so, you know, come back and win this game. Kelechi mm-hmm. has is stepping up. I think he's got three or four goals now in his last four, five, six-odd games. So he's stepping up when Jenny Vardy is going through a, a lean patch. Vardy scored, I think, one goal in the last 14, 15-odd games. So Iheanacho stepping up potentially is a good sign for Rogers. So yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep the the their, their sort of top four spot till the end of the season. But I think they have a better chance because some of the fringe players or some of the guys who may not have contributed earlier on look like they they're stepping up to the plate so that can only be a good thing and obviously then you've got the the, the guys who've been playing well all throughout you know Kasper Schmeichel at the back I think Yuri Tielemans has been fantastic not just this season over the last couple of seasons he's been a he's he was one of the most highly rated players young players in Europe Leicester pulled off a coup when they got him uh, from Monaco and I I mean I'm I'm really surprised that there have not been too many rumors linking him to a bigger club because he could absolutely fit in at any of the top sort of traditional top six sides in, in, in England.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting.
2: You know what though, I think as well, we, we were talking earlier about just mistakes. And if you if you look uh, Bright, Brighton's goal was beautifully worked and the movement from Milano was fantastic. And then the first goal where Hinacho scored. It looked initially like you know, Dun- Lewis Dunks had a bit of a mare there, but actually, if you watch it back, Ben White didn't step up and the other stepped up, so played him on side. And then the second goal right at the end, Robert Sanchez comes and flaps the ball, and um, I can't remember which Brighton player it was. One of the Brighton players just left their man entirely, and Am- uh, Amati was able to just knock it in from the back post unmarked. And... Um, <laughs> as a coach how can you account for those those individual errors
1: i actually want to go back to you david there on that um you said as a coach how can you account for those individual errors but a lot of times you see or at the, i mean i don't know you, there are people pundits or whatever who talk about coaching mistakes out of the game or, or of players games or basically coaches being responsible for if not players making mistakes but the mentality maybe that um, you know, that, that that's as, maybe a reason a why coach, that's the case. And as a coach, yeah, I'd like to uh, hear what you have to think about. As that. a
2: coach, you have you have to take responsibility. Like, I, I, I believe in that sort of ownership. But I think pundits pundits are just taking a, uh, like, <laughs> I'm trying to take a different viewpoint. I think as a pundit, if you're looking at it from the outside, you can say, why is the keeper coming for that ball and missing it? As a player, not marking players properly from set pieces is a pet peeve. And it happens so much more frequently in any games where players are tired, and it's just switching off. And I think, a couple, like we spoke about maybe a month ago on the podcast with Ben Davies at Tottenham, and it's infuriating to watch because <laughs> what, what what do you say to a player? You've got to mark that player. You need to uh, hold their shirt before they move. Have an open body stance, whatever it is. Don't close your don't close your body off and watch the ball, which is what the uh, the Brighton player did. I can't remember who it is for the life of me, but that, that those are individual errors that like it's easy to say coach that out of him and you're like okay we're going to talk to him about following a man at a set piece like, he a professional a premier league player shouldn't be doing that and then yeah potentially i'll, I'll warrant that with the, the back line but i don't know why ben wires has stepped up maybe there's been a lack of communication there or whatever but for the rest of the game you, you're not seeing players make those errors and so it's it's momentary lapses it's, it's switching off at In the the final moments, but yeah, you're right. Coaches, coaches will say, "Yeah, it's my fault, whatever." And I think that's the right thing to do as a coach. I think you need to protect your players.
0: Well, let's talk to a. Let's talk about a coach who doesn't say that he's done anything wrong, and that would be Tottenham's coach Mourinho. Is is that front line really to be feared? Is is that starting to solidify? And is the reformation of Deli Ali legit? I mean, talk talk to us about what's going on there. They had a magnificent outing against Crystal Palace. They won four one. Arshel, what 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 do you, what did you see in that game? I mean, I'm I'm seeing Gareth Bale obviously not at
1: the level at where he was when he left the Premier League almost a decade ago. But mm-hmm. I'm seeing a Gareth Bale who he he looks the fittest and and I mean he looks. Pretty explosive. He looks back to maybe a couple of seasons ago, two, three, four years ago. Maybe uh, like uh, how he was do, uh, playing for Real Madrid. So, I, and this, this is the example I'm going to talk about is not from this week. It's from last week actually. But there was one instance in that game against Burnley where he Bale was on the right. He opened up his body and sort of played the ball past. I think it would have been Eric Peters on the left or maybe even White McNeil because um, Bale was on the right and just ran past him as if he wasn't there and had and by the time he got to the ball he was already about five yards ahead of the player and it's that sort of explosiveness that's defined Gareth Bale's career and he's back to showing that um, this season in the league. To add to that he's he's got a very underrated passing range. People don't realise about Bale that he can actually pull off some really good passes in space, in tight areas and, and again he showed that last week again with that 50 yard ball towards Harry Kane for Harry Kane's goal. So, those guys are uh, sort of putting a really good partnership together, um, uh, Bale and, and Kane. So, And that takes a lot of pressure off of Kane and also off jong Son because it almost felt like Son was in a position earlier on in the season where he had to score every time he got a chance because Spurs weren't really creating too many chances and if it wasn't Kane, it had to be Son who was scoring. But if Bale keeps up this form, they've got a really potent front three they've got the likes of tangay and dombele behind in midfield who is a really good creative player giovanni lo Celso, who's injured will come back into the into the team and he's another good creative outlet and i mean when you add dele ali to the mix there's no reason why spurs can't be one of the best attacking sides in the league so they've definitely got the personnel um and yeah if if Dale keeps this up it'll be really inter- interesting to see if they can you know Pick up the wins against the sides they were struggling against the low block teams, and and potentially I think they have a great chance of gate crashing the core party if they keep uh, their form up. Interesting. Yeah,
2: I'm not sure. I'm not sure Ali's right there just yet, Chris. And I think he'll struggle short term to get back in the team with how well Lucas Mora played uh, in the last game. But I think uh, every time I watch Harry Kane, I'm just like he, he is so so good um yeah what what a season he's having by the way i don't remember another season anyone's had where they've scored and assisted so many goals like the way he's done
0: david what's your take on chelsea they've they've just been racking up win after win couple of ties but i i don't remember when a new coach you always expect a, kind of a new manager bounce but the it hasn't come down yet as far as I can tell. They've just closed the game at 2-0 against Everton. Is this Tuchel revolution, are we are we in for maximizing the potential of, of Chelsea's roster?
2: You know what? It's something that I've been wanting to look at in more depth just from a personal point of view is I would like to watch maybe the last three or four games of Lampard's time at Chelsea and then go ahead and watch rewatch all, all of Tuchel's games so far at Chelsea. And... and try and really work out specifically the differences. But things weren't going well for Lampard and you brought someone in who is very experienced, proven winner, he has a specific style of play that he put into like work from the word go. Um, we spoke before how we weren't really sure Chelsea necessarily had the identity under Lampard and I think... If you weren't a Chelsea fan, if you're just looking at it from a neutral perspective and you said, uh, what does Lampard's, or what did Lampard's Chelsea look like, you'd get a lot of umming and ahring. And I think that when you look at Tuchel's side, suddenly there's actually a, a very distinct uh, style of play, a very distinct philosophy. And I think the players are brought into that. I think it's been clear for them to see. He's been very clear what he wants. Formation-wise, he hasn't really changed that much, although he, he will because he does like to tinker. But right now when things are going well, why would he? and i think potentially he's he's gotten the best out of some players that maybe weren't performing that so so well under Lampard. He's, it's the classic thing of a new manager coming in and you can just get players who maybe weren't overly happy before to play really well and then he's also got the players that were playing well still playing well so mm-hmm. it's it's a recipe for success right
0: okay well let's later this afternoon we do have uh, west ham leeds and that should be, again, the box of chocolates. We don't know which leads uh, we're going to get, the one that can sco- that will score four goals or that will get four goals scored on them. Um, but Hopefully the latter. The intensity will be equal no matter what that is, I suspect. Uh, n- this next week, uh, Man City is going to play Southampton on Wednesday. Um, you would expect a, a fairly easy win there. Um, Newcastle plays Aston Villa. Leeds-Chelsea will, will probably be quite interesting, uh, while as yet the other teams that come to mind, Man City will have to play Fulham and Leicester will play Sheffield United. And then there are a couple teams nestled on Sunday, or a couple matches. Arsenal- Tottenham, another Tottenham, London derby. Arshel, any, any thoughts on that match? I mean, on current form, Spurs
1: look absolutely brilliant, and I mean, I, I would probably go for his first win in that game because Kane he'd had a bit of a blip in terms of goal scoring, just his general output a little while ago. But he's he looks like he's over that now. Mm-hmm. Again, back to his best. I thought for the, uh, the the his first goal against Palace was absolutely brilliant. First time finish from that sort of area into the far corner. And as David said, you know every time you watch him, you 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 sort of admire him. People talk about Robert Lewandowski as the best centre-forward in the game right now. I, Kane is probably up there with the best at the moment. So, And then obviously you've got Son Bale playing the way he is. The rest of the support cast doing really well. So. And Arsenal, as I said, a bit inconsistent at the moment. So I, I would probably go for a Spurs win at the moment.
0: Give me a scoreline. 3-1 to Spurs.
2: 3-1 Spurs. David? one nil Spurs. They're going to score early and then part the bus.
0: <laughs> I'm going to go with 1-1 one, one, just because it's, it always seems to be these, even though Arsenal or Tottenham are not actually big six, but it seems like these or top six, these games always seem to end up in in, in these more dreary t- um, draws. Um, David, I'm going to give you the lead on the Man United-West Ham game on Sunday, one of the later games. What's What do you expect out of that?
2: I think I think United are going to be tired because they had the City game, um, obviously, this weekend. They've got the Milan game on Thursday, which is massive. Huge, huge game. So I think they'll be tired. They're 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 the better team and they should win, particularly at Old Old Trafford, which is never an easy place to go. Um, But uh, who knows West Ham at the moment? I think that we'll, we'll sit off and... If you can avoid getting hurt on the transition by United, I think you've got a good chance. So, we'll see. I would, I would hope for a point, but realistically, I'd probably opt for a United win. But we'll see. So, give me a score. Oh. 2-1 um, United. Herschel? It's, again, one of those where United
1: could struggle. They struggled, I mean, in the reverse fixture. They took a sort of comeback in the second half for United to win that game at the London Stadium, so uh, United have been a little iffy at home, and they've been and they struggled against teams with sit back, which West Ham will do brilliantly. David Moyes has had them drilled really well. Mm-hmm. I think West Ham will miss Jesse Lingard a little bit because obviously he's on loan from United, can't play against a club, so that might be a big difference to this to the eleven in terms of just the, the impact he's had, but. It could be a game where, you know, United could struggle and get picked off a little bit on the counter-attack because West Ham do have the pace. So I, I think it'll be a tight one. United would probably scrape it, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's a draw. I honestly would not be surprised. I'm, I'm going to go for a 2-1 scoreline as well, but honestly, 1-1 looks equally likely to me at the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, actually, I, if, if Lingard were playing, I'd go 1-0 one, one, West Ham. But I think without Lingard, it's going to be 0-0. Zero, zero. Uh, I, would, I, I
2: would take that right now. If, or, as long as as long as we beat Leeds, I'll take that.
0: Yeah, for all the reasons why, I just I think it's it's a heck of a week, heck a, heck of a a run of of matches for Man United, and they've still got some games ahead of them um, in the coming weeks. Wolves, Liverpool. If if there's a team to try to bounce back, Wolves would not be uh a place that i'd want to go to to try to win a match i i am i'm worried about that I, i'm going to say liverpool wins one um and maybe they're fi- start to find their mojo again just because wolves have just been so underpowered from a offensive perspective but just when they want to dig in deep they are dug david what's your take on what the score could be for that match
2: yeah, I, I I think that actually uh, Liverpool might bounce back, and I'm going to go with a comfortable three-one. Wow, bold. Yeah. bold, yeah, I'm feeling bold, I'm feeling bold okay. in that one.
1: How shall? Yeah, I think Liverpool will bounce back. Bounce back, with I mean, Wolves have the have the tools to hurt them, and I, I think a lot depends on the centre backs that Liverpool, pick because it's it's the same two guys. I can totally imagine the likes of Pedro Neto, Adama Traore sort of, you know, making a lot of the space and and the positions that they could give up. So it'll depend on what team Liverpool put out. But yeah, I think they might just have more than enough for Wolves here. So probably a 2-0 win for for Liverpool.
0: Okay. Well, uh, it's interesting. Y'all are more optimistic and bullish than I am on that. I want to turn our attention to some conversations we were having in our kind of pre-production meetings, which are, I'm making the argument that the, how dreadful it is to watch the park, the bus teams. And that seemed to be a normal staple for mid table teams and below, but the 2021 premier league, that's the, the park, the bus sort of team seem to be struggling a bit. And they're not in the folks that were parked the bus are parking the bus less. Um, Harshel, what, what's your take on that?
1: I don't necessarily agree that, like, watching a, a team that's sitting back and defending well can be boring. I mean, if you're watching, if, if they're doing a good job, it, it actually is fascinating to watch how they're going about their defensive work. And, you know, we, we've seen Mourinho teams of the past be absolute masters at this but a lot of teams used to be able to do that really well. Arsenal back in the mid-2000s were masters of you know the one nil win. It, it, it literally was a chant at, at Highbury and then the Emirates. United have done really well on occasion under Sir Alex Ferguson where they get early goals and sort of dig in and, and win although that was not as, as frequent but I would make the case that it depends on the personnel you have it depends on how well drilled you are in terms of your defensive organization the positions you're taking up the, the communication uh, between your midfielders and defenders on who's marking whom on passing on players if they're moving from one zone to the other and a lot of it obviously then also comes down to the quality that the opposition have and whether they break down your, your low block or your defense but I don't think it's necessarily boring because I, I, I it depends it, there are games where I find it fascinating in terms of one team maybe having 60 or even 70% of the ball and trying to break down the other team, which is literally sitting in two lines on the edge of their six-yard box.
0: Well, I think we can agree to disagree on that one. Uh, David, I'm looking at at kind of the bottom half of the table. Leeds is pretty expansive. Wolves is pretty parked the bus. Crystal Palace is pretty parked the bus. Southampton, I would say, is intelligent, expansive. Burnley is parked the bus. Though things they seem to be ha- ha- having noises of being expansive. Newcastle, who knows? Um, Brighton is expansive. Fulham is expansive. West Brom is parked the bus, and then Sheffield United had s- was more parked the bus, but with some interesting expansive stuff, uh, particularly in the. Uh, uh, you know, in, on the
2: edges of the pitch. Um, what's your take on that? I think that the the phrase part of the bus" is, is is derogatory. Like, I think that that it it vilifies good team defending, and that actually, I enjoy watching a team. Kind of like Harshell said, it, when it's done well, it's phenomenal to watch. I think. If you go back and watch Inter-Barcelona from 2010, Mourinho's Inter in that Champions League semi-final, and it's just an absolute masterclass in defending and counter-attacking ruthlessly from Inter. And I think that if you watch a game like that, then it's fantastic. I think it's a lot more easy to enjoy it when you're watching a team that's got the likes of, you know, Zanetti and Motta playing for, for them or Snyder than necessarily, you know, uh, Kyle Bartley. And <laughs> maybe like a couple of the West Brom players, but it's it's a leveler for those teams, and as much as it's enjoyable to see a team go out there and play high tempo football and press high, <laughs> not all teams can afford to do that, and I think that I'm a fan of anyone that can can I guess, forge their own like niche as a, as a as a club. Realize that hey, we can't compete with. We talk about Moneyball. Hey, we're fans of Moneyball. This is just a different kind of Moneyball. It's working out how to compete with the big boys without the 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 the, the same finances, right? I think yeah. you should be a fan of it, Chris. I think I think we I, need to
0: have a- I, I, Hey, I'm all for parking the bus because I'm a. I'm at the end of the day, I'm always a pragmatist. But I think if your your core, unless you have severely limited bu- budgets like a Sheffield United does. Then I think, I, I just, I admire, and, and Brighton and Fulham are not out of the woods
2: by any stretch. Also, Brian Brian have a healthy budget as well.
0: Exactly, um, but, but I, I, it, my point is, is that there is enough money, if you're a Premier League team, to at least do something besides be a clamshell yeah, uh, but but bad. then
2: the likes of Burnley, for example, let's just say they decided to change their style of play and, you know, they gave it a go in the week and fair play to them, but let's just decide next, next year, they try and play like Brian and Fulham uh, or Norwich. Norwich got relegated, you know, playing, playing that style of football and they're going to get promoted all the best to them. But it's, it's, it, if you got if you've got players that potentially aren't as strong as a lot of the other teams, you're going to struggle playing that way. And, Brighton and Fulham have actually invested like ridiculous amounts of money for those lower clubs. I know Fulham haven't this time round, but they certainly did the time before. Was Burnley, Burnley haven't. Um Sheffield United kind of have, actually. We talk about them not having much money, but they've they've had some real busts in terms of transfers. Yeah. Um but it's it's having look at when Norwich came up. Norwich didn't spend great amounts of money and try to play like that expensive football and they got relegated and rightly so because they, they were a poor team. So, it's a uh, really as, difficult question. I don't think there's an answer but I think you have to respect the likes of Burnley who don't have the money to spend. They're not necessarily the most attractive club for an international player to go and play for um, and they've stayed in the Premier League. What was it like five seasons on the trot now?
1: Longer than, yeah, probably. They got relegated I think back in the 2014-15 season came right back up and haven't Sort of gone down since. Right. But yeah, I, I just want to um bring up just to add to what David said. I think it's if you want to, if you're a say mid to lower lower table side in the Premier League and you want to play that sort of expansive style of football, it needs to be a blend of things. You need your recruitment, I think, needs to be absolutely spot on. Brighton, for example, have done a really good job with the players they've brought in. Yes, they've spent decent amounts of money on certain players but the profile of the player they've brought in for certain positions is absolutely spot on and in terms of the of their technical attributes in terms of the way they want to play and the way those players fit into those roles so you're uh, and norwich they, again as david said norwich didn't do that they they didn't recruit well enough i'd say they didn't obviously recruit too much fulham made the same mistake a couple of seasons ago where they spent over 100 million i think in that window and All of the players, more or less, all of the players were a bust, and they went down. They they've made a better fist of it this time around, and yeah. So so it need your recruitment needs to be a lot more intelligent because again, as a lower table club, you don't have the leeway or the margin of safety that bigger teams have. You know, a a team like United, for example, United spent 50 million on Fred, and he's essentially a squad player. He's he's a very good player. He, He fills a role for soul share but i mean i don't think anybody would want fred in united's first 11 but they were able to spend 50 oh, million Arsh,
2: be, be careful you're going to induce another super league conversation here from chris <laughs> <laughs> well you're you're absolutely right about that and what i'll do is I'll, I'll
0: i'll cut myself short here i i just uh i see the park the bus teams somewhere between 12th and 20th and they're they seem to be dominating in that segment.
2: Uh, well, hey, watch watch West Ham to, tonight, and I'll probably look at full because this will go after the Leeds game. But watch, uh at yeah. the time of recording, it's only just kicking off. So watch That's West right.
0: Ham. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll pick this conversation up next week uh, on that. But we are sponsored by the Premier League guide, Moneyball for Football, Opposition Analysis Plus Eye Candy. The current update is available at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Please subscribe to Thinking Fan FC on YouTube and your favorite podcast platform. For now, Bella Ciao, Bella Ciao, Ciao, Ciao.